Lubbock. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pre-Game on 101.1 The Beer. Starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher Jarrett Johnson. The Beard Sports Director Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pre-Game, Jeff Scott. Welcome to the Rockin' Pre-Game Show. Yeah, it's the final show of 2021. As we uh, get all set for, for a new year. And uh, is it too early to... Is it okay to say Happy New Year before... Sure. Well, I said really? to some stranger, you know, like, thank you, thank you, you know, you're welcome, happy new year, and they just looked at me like I was crazy. And yeah. So I thought, ooh, too early? Man, I don't know. I've said it in February. Happy oh, new year. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but once you get the Valentine's, it's got to stop. Okay. That's my thought. <laughs> then I'm thinking. you got 11 more months. Hey, happy new year. So, so with that being said, I think it's okay to say happy well, new year absolutely. right now. It's then. New Year's okay. Eve. It's New right. Year's Eve. Happy new year, guys. But what? is your Christmas tree still up? Oh, that'll be up till probably Valentine's Day there. You know, if you if you don't take it down, you could just keep it up all year. You don't have to mess with the the putting putting it away. Putting I tell it back. my wife I mean, that every year, and she hasn't bought in yet. Yeah, but, uh, but it doesn't, doesn't seem to fly. My wife is a full buy-in. She makes it into a Valentine's Day tree, then a St. Patrick's Day tree, and then when she wants to put something else up, it's it's normally gone by March. All right. Well, you're living life. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, coming up today on the Rock and Pregame, we'll discuss the big win over Mississippi State. Also, Eric Haslam and Michael Hunter will bring the uh, Rock and 25 college basketball poll. We'll predict the college football playoff games remaining and replay Jarrett's interview with Coach Joey McGuire. It was an awesome interview. And guys, uh, actually one of my favorite things of the entire year, by the way, Jarrett. Wow, so thank you. Replay that. And if you missed it, it is really good. Just kind of getting some insight on Joey McGuire, where he came from, what makes him tick and his coaching philosophy and all kinds of stuff. So that's coming up a little later on in the show. I'll also have the full court press. First, though, it is time to get the temperature of the Red Raiders with the... This is the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame. Let's get going with the Rockin' Reality Chat. All right, so uh, I think there's a lot to feel pretty good about right now as we uh, get ready to head into a new year. The win over Mississippi State was nice, and now the Joey McGuire era is here. So I am really... Me being the pessimistic guy, I'm really optimistic though. I'm, I'm really excited for. I mean, not only the way Tech finished the season with the win, getting that seventh win, that felt really good. Beat Mike Leach, that was a very important thing in the yeah. moving on. I think, and uh, and just ready for Joey McGuire. I, I'm really, I'm about as as excited as I ever get when it comes to positivity and optimism. How's that for a rock and reality check? Wow, nice, nice Pete. Follow that. Oh, wow. I uh, Well, I was in Memphis, and it, it was awesome being on the field with those guys after they won. The coaches, just seeing those guys hugging each other. I mean, again, many of those guys had new jobs. They could have just gone forward, but they, they preached family. They preached, uh, you know, wanting to do good for these guys. And, and guys could enter the transfer portal. But in the end, the family was indeed a family. And they pulled off a, a dominating win offensively, defensively, special teams. And uh, to see Sonny Cumbie just uh, hugging all these guys, uh, uh, I was really happy for him more than anybody uh, on, on, on my side of things. But uh, just it was a big win. And I, I think, you know, finally I think we say the curse is broken. Yeah. I really believe that. And yeah. just to see all the Red Raider fans, you know, I, I saw Kirby Hocutt there and he told me, man, we, we got to do this every year. We got to get back to bowls every year. And just having the mass rider there, the going band, it was just a great night for Texas Tech. And let me just say, I, I was one who was skeptical of the commitment of these coaches. Really. Sure, sure, and why not? Because, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you give your notice at a job, 
and you say you're going to give 100%, but it's hard because you, your mind, you're thinking about your next gig, what you're going to do there. You know, that's your future. And, and I was just skeptical of how committed these guys really could be. But I'll tell you, the way they played and just the, the excitement on the sideline and watching them, it, it really looked like they, they all were very much in it. And uh, I, was, I was really impressed with that. So I just want to say that because I know I tend to be a pessimistic guy a lot, but I did notice that, and uh, I just wanted to make sure I pointed that out uh, to be completely fair, you know, because I, I, really, I was like, wow, no, no, I, I was not expecting that. How could you not feel that way? Like you said, that would just be natural. I think, to me, the storyline of the whole season wasn't Coach Wells getting fired, Coach McGuire coming in, Sonny, even Sonny Cumbie, who I admire now, straight up admire sure, now yeah. for what he did. Yeah. I mean, I really do. And I said before, uh, even I think even before they, maybe before they beat Iowa State, that he, he has a bright future as a head coach. I mean, I remember sitting in one of the press conferences like, this guy's in his element. Um, he's, you know, he could get these guys ready, uh, you know, in terms of game plan, he has like a culture that he can establish, but what the real storyline for me was these players playing for each other in an era of, you know, NIL, me, 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 my brand, 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 I'm all over on social media. It's all, you know, opting out, yada, yada, all the, all the individual crap, to be You're honest, right, that yeah. we, that we're fed, um, you have you know, a group of guys who, look, it wasn't always pretty. There were some ugly games, but they played really hard for each other. And I even said in my preview, though, I thought Mississippi State was going to run them. I really did. But I wanted to see if this team was going to continue to stay together through all the adversity and really play for each other. And boy, did they. Did they. You yeah. know, these, these guys truly care about one another. The fact that not many guys went into the portal – um, I know EZ opted out, and I understand that business decision. You, got, you have guys like Dawson Deaton, who knew he was going to declare basically before the season started. He still played for his brothers. And to see those guys give that kind of effort to play so hard for one another in this era, especially for the team, for the group, for the collective, was refreshing. And honestly, it inspired me throughout the year, the way they, no matter what uh, – Adversity they faced, no matter what distraction they face, they still stuck together. And it may be cliche, but man, I sure do love that cliche. Yeah. <laughs> and I miss it. Uh, you know, it should be more uh, common, but it's not nowadays. Yeah, well, everybody's feeling pretty good about football. And then still got a little time here, a rock and reality check. Let's uh, touch on basketball right quick. You know, they, man, that, that game against Alabama State was kind of a, I mean, that was kind of a ho-hum opponent, but sort of, it seemed like they, they got started kind of playing that same level. Just kind of a weird sluggish game, kind of sloppy play. But uh, overall, heading into uh, now conference play coming up, uh, what, what are you guys feeling? Uh, what's your temperature check on that? You got to get Terrence Shannon back. That's my temperature. Got they got to get him back. They just need his scoring, his athleticism, his defense. Now, look, we know these guys can play defense. I think they're starting to figure some things out in terms of primary uh point guard or, or the guy who's taking care of the ball. I think it's got to be Adonis Arms. Clarence Nadalny is stepping up, which is really good to see. I really like Kevin McCullough off the ball. I think he is dangerous off the ball in so many areas. I don't think he should be your point guard. So we'll have to see how they do that with McCullough. But uh, I I like 10-2. and two. They got one of those three big non-conference wins. It's a gauntlet to open Big 12 play, so we'll see how they do. But we know they could play defense. All right. Yes, Sean. What's the story of, of 2021? Is it, is it uh, Beard leaving? Is it Wells getting fired? What's the one story that wraps around this? I think year? it's this 
uh, athletic department's ability to adapt to all this stuff. I mean, good things are going to happen, bad things are going to happen, but they keep persevering. I mean, okay, Beard leaves, Adam stays, and you pretty much add to what you've been building the program. I mean, this team is relevant in Big 12 play. It's a ranked team. It's going to go to the tournament more than likely. Uh, the football team, yeah, didn't work out with Wells. You bring in this guy, this rising star, uh, and Joey McGuire, and the team sticks together, and you have your first winning season since 2015, first bowl win since 2013. I think perseverance is the story, in, in my mind, through COVID and everything. Yeah, and you talked about the commitment. I mean, Cody Campbell giving $25 yes. million and, and, you know, yes. something that happened this year, but it's going to pay off years down the road once that thing's built. And Mr. Womble, Dusty yes. Womble. So, I mean, those guys are all in. And, and, and this whole team. And even after the game, Donovan Smith said, man, uh, this is the – I've had so much fun. These guys believed in me. We're not a team. We're just brothers. We hang out on the field and off the field. And Sonny Cumbie said afterwards, you know, when you got a group of guys and coaches who believe and are all in – uh, great things can happen, and they all believed, and uh, a lot of people didn't believe they yep. could do it, and they they whipped Mississippi State. Best game of the year, last game of the year. <laughs> yeah. Hey. All right, that's our. Uh, oh man, I'll tell you, I'm battling this voice thing. Uh, that is our rock and reality check today on the uh, Red Rear Outfitter Rock and Pregame. Coming up next, though, it's uh, more about that big win over Mississippi State in the Liberty Bowl. When we return here on the Red Raider Outfitter Rock and Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pre-Game on 101.1 The Beard. Starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher Jared Johnson. The Beard Sports Director Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pre-Game, Jeff Scott. Red Raider football. Yeah, great win for Texas Tech over Mike Leach and Mississippi State in the Liberty Bowl. And, uh, man, that, that just felt good. Tech looked so good in that game that it was almost like, wow, where, where, where was that all season? I mean, they just they, they just played so well, and you know, in just just every facet, it was really an impressive win. Yeah, and they jumped out right from the get go. Taj Brooks scored the touchdown, and then the defense had three turnovers in the game. I mean, it was just so impressive. Uh, what they did, Donovan Smith was the MVP. He was the offensive player of the game, threw for 252 yards, ran for 36, rushed for a touchdown. I thought I was worried because the redshirt freshman and then Baron Morton, the freshman, I thought they were going to have trouble with the SEC defense. And then they don't have their number one wide receiver, Eric Azucama. And, man, J.J. Sparkman stepped up, Miles Price. Durant uh, Bradley. Yeah, uh, Bradley, yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, the, the future's bright. I mean, it was just a great performance all night long. And, uh, I, you know, after, when I flew home the other day, I saw Sawyer Robertson from Coronado, who's at Mississippi State now, and he said, man, we, we thought we were going to win that game. They, he, I mean, they were shocked. Everybody, I think even Red Raider fans were shocked. It, it's, it's a good shot in the arm. Uh, now you give the keys to Joey McGuire. You're not taking over a six, you know, a five and seven team or something, or a six and seven team. You're getting a bowl winning team. Uh, here's the keys. Go do what you can do. Yeah, you think McGuire can sell that in living rooms? That, oh, that yeah. performance that was on ESPN, by the way, you yeah. know, the only game going on? Yeah, I think McGuire could sell Ice to Escobar, so he could definitely sell that. Uh, yeah, you know. Here's the thing. Of course, ESPN mentioned a million times, and I'm rolling my eyes hard, that uh, Mississippi State had a, had a significant amount of defensive players out. They did. And I'm not you know, belittling that. It is a big deal. But you know what? It doesn't seem like 
telecasts and media outside of Lubbock, you know, make a big deal and text down a bunch of guys. Right. You know what I mean? They just don't. It seems like when it's whoever they're playing, like, oh, well, they're down so many guys. You know, well, I didn't feel sorry for Mississippi State, and I love them running the ball straight down their throats. Right? That's just being able to do that. I thought that was a key. I didn't think they'd be able to. Mississippi State was a top 10 defensive team against the rush uh, nationally. And, boy, from the get, the offensive line absolutely mauled Mississippi State. And the running backs ran hard. And they, were not, they weren't running out of bounds. They were turning back inbounds to look, look somebody up to run over. So Roderick really set the tone with a really nice run early doing that. Uh, and then Taj Brooks, man, I, I, I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. And somebody asked me, uh, I was on a, doing another interview for Sirius Radio, and they asked me about the running back room, and I was going through it. And I'm like, man, don't forget Cameron Valdez. I mean, that guy, they really like him. Bryson yeah. Donnell coming in with this class who just signed uh, in the early period. You got uh, Xavier White, who's a very good receiver. He averages like over five yards per carry. So I know people are wondering if uh, if Kitley's going to run the ball. I think he's going to. McGuire told me, you're going to hear him in an interview later on in the show, that he plans on running the ball. Utilizing tight ends isn't going to be a problem. So, I, you know, everybody wants to talk about quarterbacks, and understandably so, but, man, running backs. And then on the other side of the ball, Mississippi State, they weren't missing a lot of guys on offense. They had their full complement. Will Rogers was back there. He looked scared. He looked shell-shocked. And that defense and Keith Patterson, I can't believe I'm about to say this, Keith Patterson and Texas Tech's defense kicked Mike Leach and Mississippi State's offense's butts. I mean, just kicked the butts. Uh, just totally dominated them. Only gave up seven points. I think the only team to hold, uh, miss, the only other team to hold Mississippi State under double digits this year was Alabama. Wow, pretty so, good company. Yeah, so that's how thorough the domination was. I mean, Tyree Wilson was unblockable for stretches of that game. He just was. He was the defensive MVP. Um, but the secondary played great. What about that hit by Pearson late? Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just they, they bully-balled the SEC team, you know, um, which, oh, by the way, last I checked, they're 0-4, and then, of course, they have the opt-out or whatever, the, the forfeit from A&M, so... Uh, so much for all that SEC dominance. Well, but, and then look at you know B, BYU and and, and uh, Central Florida yep. and and Houston. I all mean, one, yep. the Big Twelve is going. I mean, it's going to be good. I'm where excited. It's not, like, yes, yeah. because it's not Oklahoma and Texas winning. Well, it might be Tech one year, and then Cincinnati. And I think it's going to be fun. How did Texas do in their bowl game? Oh, Ooh, that's oh, that's right. right. But they're <laughs> they're back in 2022. Oh, they're back. Oh yeah, of course. Every year. No, I just uh, to to whip uh, Mississippi State in the trenches to dominate on defense. I just did not see that coming. I, I just couldn't see it happening, but they did. And uh, I'm just so impressed by, by that performance I'm on every side of the ball, but on defense, just it blew me away. Well, you know, there's something watching that game, too. I, I think the what Sonny Cumbie brought to the team when he took over as the interim coach and his energy and his passion you know, in leadership, there really is something there about that. You know, sometimes you think that's hyperbole when, you know, people say things like that. But to take this same group of guys who at times look listless this year, yeah. you know, I mean, it just in, in the results get get a, a head coach fired. And then to see with the, the passion that they played with, and especially in this game, I mean, the same guys, but man, they looked like a totally different team. It was well, the scheme really was much better. That helps. If you believe in what you're doing, yeah, you know, and you're able to play fast, I mean, it helps. And you could tell, I mean, the defensive scheme, same defensive coordinator, but different scheme in terms of 
I mean, it was the same alignment and all, but I just mean the way they deployed, the, how many guys they had in the box, the way they attacked, when they blitzed, all that stuff was different than what they were doing before. It is. I mean, if you if this team could start the season over, I mean, it would be amazing to see what they could accomplish, you know? I mean, really. Um, and then the offensive lines really come together and has played better. So I, I don't know if you could attribute all that to um, Matt Wells being gone and Sonny Cumbie taking over, but these players clearly – Love Cumbie, and I mean that. I mean, they, you can hear it if you uh, go on Twitter or on YouTube, Texas Tech Athletics uh, Football or Texas Tech Football. That account uh, has the post game locker room speech from Cumbie. And if you haven't seen it yet, watch it. It's awesome uh, about them overcoming adversity and sticking together. And then you can hear the players, several of the players, you know, audibly say that they love you, they love Coach Cumbie. Um, and I believe it. I've heard that. I, Pete, I know you've probably heard from a lot of the players' parents' families too, but so many people have reached out to me and said, man, our players really love Sonny Cumbie. And I, to the point that, I mean, I've had a lot of people ask me, despite all the excitement about Joey McGuire, like, had, did they hire the right coach? I, I mean, seriously, I'm well, getting a lot yeah. of that. But you know what? It, just because he's leaving doesn't mean he can't come back someday. Well, that's true. And so you just, you know, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, yeah, Keith Patterson, he's moving on to ACU. But all these guys still kept Texas Tech in their heart. And, uh, I mean, that's they're going to go down in history because people really will remember this. It's this a is season one of those, worthy yes, of remembrance. It really incredible, was. Incredible. And who would have thought... All right. When the day Wells was fired, right. it was like a lost season. Well, and look at the gauntlet amazing. they were facing that company yeah. took over. I mean, I know his record wasn't great, but I mean, what was it? Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Oklahoma. Oklahoma I mean, yeah. it was the gauntlet. It was. It was like they weren't supposed to. We, every, we all said, they'll be lucky to win another game. Yeah, I didn't I mean, think they know, would win another After they game lost to point, Kansas yeah. State, it was like, it's over. They're not going to a bowl. Another, you know, meltdown, all that stuff, you know. But no, they rallied. They got that that big victory. They almost beat Baylor. You know, they, they were right there. Uh, too, and then to crush and to exercise the whole Mike Leach demon. I mean, if you're still talking about Mike Leach at this point, whoa, come on, man. Are you getting paid to or what? You know, I, I, I like him. I like what he did. I'm still, like, I'm not one of these people, oh, I hate Mike Leach or anything like that. But at the same time, let's put to bed, like, the curse, him coming back, all that stuff. You know what I mean? You like, just it's, have it's fond done. memories of his time here. Exactly. You exactly. Know, it, was just, it was just a fun era of Texas Tech football. A great era. Let's, let's, let's I mean, leave it at that. You know, and after the game, he said, you know, uh, I, I like seeing Texas Tech do well, and there's something to it to, to look at the, the, the mastery of what they were doing, but it just doesn't feel good when you're getting your butt kicked. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so, you know, but he, he complimented Tech, and he says he, he, you know, he has great memories at Tech, and, you know, he just hates that there's that cloud over a lot of it because what him and the university have been dealing with all these years. But I think the curse is done. He's going to go do his thing, and, and Joey McGuire is going to do his thing. And I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do. Well, one thing, you know, watching the game, uh, Donovan Smith, I thought, looked so good. And his confidence, I mean, you tell that extra practice. You always talk about, you know, getting those extra practices for a bowl game and all and what that can do. Yeah. Man, he played with so much more confidence, and he just looked more – in control of things, and as I'm watching that, I'm I'm sitting there thinking into next year. Yeah, of course. With you know, you got Baron Morton there, yeah. you got Tyler Shuck apparently yeah. coming back, yeah. and you know what a quarterback room. Yeah. How do you how do you think that that shakes out? I mean, did awesome. Smith do enough to be the? the he did enough to get not? the first rep in the first practice, and that's the way it should be. You know what yeah. I mean? Okay. That, that's what I believe. And we're talking with Coach, like again, uh, the interview with McGuire will run later in the show, but. Uh, you know, he believes it's going to be an open competition, too, and he loves those three guys. He said that's one of the reasons 
He admitted, like, he took the job. That's one of the reasons it wasn't a big deal that they didn't sign a quarterback in this class. He didn't harp on it, like, demand, well, we got to get a quarterback. He even pounded the table when he was saying it, that he loves the situation with all three of those guys so much that he was like, okay, we can, we don't have to this class. And he really, it's not just coach speak. I really believe him. I think he's sincere. There's going to be a genuine, bona fide quarterback competition this spring. And I don't know if it will be decided in the spring. It may take all up until, you know, a week or so into fall camp or whatever. But there's been talks. This is, I don't know, I've been here eight, nine years covering tech uh, exclusively. And there's been talks before, like whether it be Davis Webb and Patrick Mahomes. Like, I, that was bogus that was not a competition i knew it was going to be my homes sounds laughable now but yeah. <laughs> i mean it was laughable to me at the time that they were trying to do that even with tyler shuck in columbia here this last offseason i was like come on man it's going to be shuck you didn't bring shuck in here to not start him you know he's the right. guy um this is the first one this is a real competition and i that's i'm going to focus like 90 percent of my energy towards it because it's such an important position of tracking this spring and this offseason who the quarterback is. And it's going to be fun because they're all good. Like, I, I, if you start any of them, even even Barry Morton being young, I mean, that dude is talented. We've all seen him live. He's good. So, and I know McGuire likes him a lot. So, I think, if gun to my head, probably Donovan Smith okay, starts the my, open that was day. My question I right knew there, it was. Yeah. I've been asking a million times already. Put the this gun is, away, Jeff. Yeah. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> Jeff likes, you know, Weapon firearms and fire and all that stuff. So, <laughs> be careful what I say. But no, I think Donovan Smith probably will be. But, I mean, how do you not say shut? I mean, Right, and if he doesn't start, he. I mean, if he if he's not the starter ahead in the season, he's probably transferring, right? You would think. That, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine that he would. I wouldn't blame him. Right, you know, right, I mean, right. I really wouldn't. You know, but he loves it here. There's no doubt. Like yeah. Suck likes Lubbock. He likes the culture. And who wouldn't? I, I'm getting off <laughs> the point here, but right now the culture's never been healthier. I mean, with what McGuire's and his staff, come, those guys coming in, and that win, and the way what these players did, and in the in that staff that's going out. What they did this year, as Pete was alluding to um, or, or talking about, it, it is a foundation. And that's what needed to happen this season. They needed to build a foundation because there was none. It was right, just a yeah. mess. It was all reactive. They built that foundation. I've heard from recruits. You hear from players. Playing football at Texas Tech is now fun again. Now, let, let me ask you uh, one final question here uh, as we're talking about uh, Texas Tech football. With you know Matt Wells being fired midseason, mm-hmm. seeing where the team is today and the performance in the game and the foundation you're talking about down the road a few years, how is Matt Wells' time at Tech remembered and and will he be appreciated in any way or you know what's his legacy with Texas? I'm Tech? I'm gonna be quite honest here. Maybe some people aren't gonna like this, but I don't know how many people are intuitive or intelligent enough to understand that Matt Wells what he did was important. There's just going to be a large section of people that are going to talk smack about him and say bad things because they don't know what the hell they're talking about, to be honest. Um, Matt Wells, there's a lot of things he did wrong, and I do believe it was time for him to be fired. Like, I don't disagree with that situation at all and that decision. But he obviously completely changed what was a jacked-up culture here. He had people just – it was a wild – we know it was a wild west. He had a bunch of people practice, not practice, workout, not workout, not show up to, you know, breakfast on time, all that stuff. There was no discipline. There was no accountability. He completely flipped that. Um, and then also he improved the roster. He did. He, he greatly improved the roster in terms of the depth uh, and, and the type of guys he brought in. Without those two things – 
uh, it would make Joey McGuire's job appreciably more difficult. So I think he was a great bridge, and it was something that needed to happen uh, after the Kingsbury era, which just decimated this program. All right, coming up next, time to talk some basketball. Our uh, experts, Eric Hasselman, Michael Hunter, join us for the unveiling of this week's Rockin' 25 college basketball poll here on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' pregame on 101.1 The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' pregame on 101.1 The Beard. Starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jared Johnson. The Beard sports director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' pregame, Jeff Scott. It's time to release the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll on the Rockin' pregame. Happy holidays from our college basketball rocketologists and the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll. We're joined by two of our voters, analytics consultant from Haslametrics.com, Eric Haslam, also owner, editor, and founder of the ACC Basketball Report, Michael Hunter. And guys, cancellations are the word of the week in college Mm -hmm. basketball, unfortunately. At what point do we have to be concerned about another tournament cancellation? Well, I think we have to come to realize what Omicron actually is and, and how much of of COVID is going to be the the lingering and more likely harmful Delta variant that's that's remaining. You know the wheels are still in motion right now as far as what the, co- the conference policies are going to be for testing, and you know, for clearance, for forfeits, and things like that. And and who knows? Maybe I, I'm no doctor, but maybe Omicron will be a blessing in disguise and that it spreads faster, but doesn't seem as severe. I think that's part of the frustration right now for myself and a lot of other people of uh, people out there not really knowing. What are we looking at here? You know, you're seeing record number of cases. You're seeing some people saying it goes through people quicker and this might be better. We were seeing tweaking of the policies. But I think it's the whole unknown, which is the big frust is the most frustrating part of everything. Frankly, I'm hoping we just get some stability out of this whole thing, because with all the postponements and the cancellations and the forfeits the last few weeks, it has been a total mess. We had 32 cancellations slash postponements on Wednesday. We had 16 on Tuesday. Um, it's just getting worse and worse the last few weeks. I don't think we need to lose our heads just yet on uh, potentially losing out on the NCAA tournament, but it's going to be really, really very dependent on policies implemented by the NCAA and by the individual conferences to see where we go from here. I think what we've seen, especially in, in like the NFL, they're starting to you know kind of loosen their restrictions if you're vaccinated, which um, that's that's a different conversation, I think. But um, it, what it all boils down to for the NCAA is money. And in 2020, the NCAA lost a ton of revenue based on canceling that tournament. And, and you know, 2021 was going to go off regardless of what the situation was because, you know, as a as a, a product, you really can't sustain losing that amount of money in consecutive years. I think, you know, last year having all of those games take place in one city or in one region was, was a great idea. You kind of put them within the bubble. And I think... Worst case scenario, that's what happens again. Um, try to you know restrict the travel with the programs throughout the country. Try to keep everyone kind of segregated, which <laughs> may be a bad choice of terms, but that, it, you know that's what it is basically. But I, I think at worst case scenario, they will hold it in Indianapolis or the surrounding region again, and, and kind of restrict travel throughout the country and, and try to you know maintain that bubble for, around the tournament. Let's release the Rock in Twenty Five with Baylor getting all of the first place votes. Purdue back up to number two, Duke, Gonzaga, and Kansas 
round out the top five. Why does the future of the Big 12 schedule intrigue you, Eric? I think the main reason is because teams in the conference can be so competitive from top to bottom. And let's start out with Iowa State. Are they legitimate or are they frauds? Uh, we, we discussed the Cyclones a little bit last week where they're right now they're 12-0. and 0. They're a top-20 team for me, fifth in defensive efficiency. Great at disturbing opponents taking the three-point three-pointer. Um, nice wins over the likes of Iowa, Xavier, Creighton, Memphis. But there's still plenty of doubts about their true abilities um, when they finally get into a scuffle with some of the elites. Uh, I think the same goes to a certain degree for Oklahoma. Porter Moser is working his magic with the Sooners right now. They're 10-2, and 10th in defensive efficiency. 14th in defensive field goal percentage wins over Florida, Arkansas, Central Florida. So another question mark there um, along the same lines as Iowa State. Um, I'm intrigued to see if like Texas will step up their game to an elite level. They're just not yet. They're not quite there yet from my performance rankings. They just got Dylan DeSue back. Um, he averaged 15 and nine last year for Vanderbilt. He led the SEC in rebounding can stretch the floor. He's averaging 10 and 6 since his mid-December return. He's a difference maker for them. And then, you know, stories like is West Virginia, a team like West Virginia lying in the weeds. They're 11 and 1 out of the gates, but they're ranked 56th at my site. Are they gonna? Are they saving up their best basketball um, for 2022? All in all, I still think that the top seven teams, uh, per my rankings, they're a combined 75 and 8. It's almost a quiet 75 and 8. I I just haven't really been you know, noticing the Big 12 as much. As a conference, there are combined 116. So I don't know if you can be under the radar at 116, but that's where the Big 12 is right now. But as I stated, you know, the conference is so competitive from top to bottom. All 10 teams right now are presently in my top 100. Even Texas Christian at number 96 can present a challenge for anybody on a given night. And because any of these teams can be a threat on any given night, it makes for ba great basketball viewing for the public. Texas Christian at 10-1 is surprising for me. Wins over uh, you know Utah, Texas A&M, Georgetown. Um, and, you know, they're one of the worst teams in the Big 12, and they're also 10-1 in the season. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Six through 10 of the Rockin' 25 has Arizona, after their loss to Tennessee, falling to six. UCLA at seven. Auburn at eight. Houston at nine. And Ohio State at 10. Michael, break down the SEC and their strengths going into conference play. You know, we've said it all season. We've talked about the SEC quite extensively um, so far. And, you know, the strength of the SEC is the coaching hires that they've made over the last five to seven years. Um, they made a real commitment to the basketball side after being dominant in football. And you're seeing the results of that right now. I think the strength of the SEC is, I mean, you have – you know, four to maybe six teams that are legit Final Four contenders right now. Um, Auburn is a little bit surprising um, sitting atop the, the conference right now. I think Kentucky probably has the most talent. I think, you know, Alabama may be the best team, LSU, the best defensive team in, in the conference, and actually maybe in the country. And then you have teams like Arkansas, Tennessee, that are, are kind of not really hyped up, but also some of the best teams in the nation. I think Arkansas has potential to win the SEC. Um, if they can get it together and play consistently. So, you know, SEC is looking a little bit top-heavy. Um, you got teams down like Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Mississippi, Georgia, um, and certainly Missouri. But at the top, you have you have four to five legit Final Four NCAA championship title contenders.
Yeah, there was a tweet that I put out here earlier this week about that very thing, about how right now they're number one in defensive efficiency. Their offensive rating is tumbling down to 84th for me, but it was quite the flip-flop from last year when LSU was sixth in offensive efficiency and 122nd on the defensive end of the floor. Exclusive to the Rockin' pregame, the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll with our Rocketologist Eric Hasselman, Michael Hunter. The middle five of the Rockin' 25 has Michigan State, then Iowa State, followed by USC at 13, LSU holding at 14, and Alabama at 15. Eric, what are the analytics telling you about teams right now? Most have shed their preseason ratings. Which teams are over and underrated? Yeah, when you're talking about teams shedding their preseason baselines, my algorithms are probably a little bit more aggressive than others at eliminating those baselines. I'm personally more interested in whom the actual results say a team is, not what they're supposed to be in the preseason. And that being said, 297 out of the 358 teams have now completely shed those preseason baselines at Haslametrics.com. For those teams, the preseason baselines now have zero impact on their ratings. But when you talk overrated and underrated, I guess you have to compare compare the analytics against the AP poll. From an overrated standpoint, I would say the biggest one from my analytical perspective is probably still going to be UCLA, who's number five in the AP poll, number 28 in my rankings. Yes, they are eight and one, but they've had some borderline lackluster efforts versus Bellarmine, Colorado. Of course, uh, the blowout loss to Gonzaga did not help. And I think there's still a lot of recency bias there with the Bruins from last year's NCAA tournament. I think they're being rated highly based on their talent and their ceiling as much as their actual, um, as much as their actual performances so far this season. Um, another team that jumps out at me from an overrated standpoint is probably going to be Providence. Um, I think they're 21st in the AP poll. I have them 39th in my site. I think that ugly loss to, to Virginia on November 23rd probably drags them down. That was far and away the Friars' worst performance of the year, but maybe it's, I still think Providence slightly overrated. When we're talking underrated from an, analytics, from an analytics perspective, I would say let's talk about Loyola Chicago. It seems like the Ramblers are now kind of a yearly topic with the analytics crowd. Unranked right now with the, uh, the AP poll that's a top-10 team for me. Nine and two on the year, only two losses, and one is a two-point loss to Michigan State and a nine-point loss to Auburn, who is playing top-shelf basketball right now. Their efficiency margins have made them look really good. Eight of their nine wins have, have been by double digits. Still a very dangerous team, the Ramblers are, despite the departure of Cameron Crutwig. Also another team that just kind of keeps sticking around for me is Iowa, who is a top 15 team for me. Um, same thing, great efficiency margins. Typically, uh, that's the fingerprint of a really good team. The team is number three in offensive efficiency. Their issue, to nobody's surprise, is, is still going to be defense. Right now, number 118 in defensive efficiency, but... I think if they can maintain their offensive success and shore up their issues on defense, the, the Hawkeyes can and will be a problem for many teams in the Big Ten this season. Yeah, for me, I, I completely agree on Iowa, and credit to Eric for calling that a few weeks ago. Um, you just, they, I, I thought they were going to be better. I thought you know Keegan Murray was going to be enough to carry that team, and it looks like they're going to need some, some backup there. Um, I, also, I'm starting to wonder about BYU. I mean... Yep. Yeah, you lose to Utah Valley, you lose to Vanderbilt. Um, you know, Alex Barcelo is obviously a very good player, very good scorer, great point guard. But for underrated, uh, I'm going to go with Colorado State, who I've seen play a few times. They've got some really good players on that team. Um, I think they were going to be very undervalued come tournament time. Uh, I just I love David Roddy. I think he's a great player. Yeah, as a follow-up to BYU, um, some bad news uh, early in December. They were on a roll early on, but then within two weeks they lost two of their big men 
first they lost on December, I think it was December 1st or thereabouts, Gavin Baxter tears his ACL again. And then a couple of weeks later, they lose Richard Harward, who was supposed to be a starter. He had a heart issue. And so now all of a sudden, BYU, who really came out of the gates looking great, beat up Oregon very early in the season. They don't look as strong as they once were. I agree with Michael on that one. 16 through 20 of the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll has Tennessee, then Kentucky at 17, Seton Hall at 18, Colorado State 19, Texas at 20. Michael, what has the non-conference schedule shown you about this year? <laughs> I think it's shown me kind of what it shows me every year, and that's the fact that I didn't know as much as I thought I did when uh, coming into the season. And, you know, some surprise teams this year, obviously. Uh, BYU took me a little bit by surprise. Uh, Providence has certainly taken me by surprise. Um, one very interesting thing about this particular season is you have teams in the nation right now that aren't playing particularly well. And I'm going to point directly at Arkansas right now that, you know, North Carolina is another one that aren't getting a whole lot of respect. They aren't exactly playing all that well, but they're still Final Four contenders. I think Arkansas has the talent to make a deep run in March. Um, right now, they're not quite the team we thought they were going into the season. I think we had them as high as 11 at one point this year. But, you know, Arkansas, North Carolina, Florida, these are teams that we didn't really have a whole lot of expectations for coming into this. Well, Arkansas, we did have expectations for North Carolina, Florida specifically stand out that, um, you know, have, have performed fairly well. They have the potential to make a lot more noise as the season goes on. And then you have teams like Memphis who have a ton of talent or always good defensively, but seem to be struggling against good teams. So, it, you know, it, it's always fun to make preseason prognostications, but it's always uh, a little bit humbling to uh, see where you are wrong in so many ways as the season progresses. All right, the final five of the Rockin' 25 has Villanova, then Xavier at 22, Providence at 23, Texas Tech at 24, and your Wisconsin Badgers holding 25. Eric, what do the analytics say about the Big East and Big Ten? Which is a better conference from top to bottom? Obviously, a lot of people are going to point to the Gavit tip-off games and say that the Big East is the better conference based on the results there with the the Big East winning that series six games to two. But you do have to look at the big picture, as I always used to say, the uh, use the Tebow, the entire body of work. Um, that that entails for counting all the games that have been playing that have been played involving the teams from those conferences. And based on the analytics, the, the Big Ten still has the Big East beat, regardless of whether you average out the rankings of the top five teams, the middle five teams, the bottom five teams from each conference. I think the Big Ten beats the Big East when it comes to the top five teams from each conference. I think that's where the Big Ten has the biggest advantage. Uh, per my own ratings, the average out of the, uh, the top five teams from the Big Ten is 14.2. That's Purdue, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio State, and Michigan State. For the Big East, the average is 23.4. That encompasses Villanova, Seton Hall, Xavier, UConn, and Providence. So I think despite the story that the eight contests from the Gavit games may have told, the Big Ten, in my opinion, is still the superior conference when comparing the two. And that's keep in mind, that's just my own humble analytical opinion on the matter. Yeah, it's it's really not close. I, I don't believe you know Gavin games being what they were, uh, highly entertaining. Here's what here's what I see right now: Indiana at ten and two, I think would be. I, I don't want to say dominant in the Big East, but Indiana would win that conference. I believe they they probably received some 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 resistance from Villanova, but I'm not sure Villanova is as good as they have been in recent years. But Indiana would win the Big East, and right now they're what the fifth best team in the Big Ten. So. Um, yeah, I think the Big Ten is easily the better one. 
Other teams receiving votes on the 25 this week include BYU, Illinois, Iowa, also Loyola, Chicago, Oklahoma, San Francisco, Yukon, and West Virginia. As the year has gone on, the number of teams on the outside of the 25 looking in seem to be shrinking. So, Michael, what do you attribute this to? I think one thing that uh, you know we can attribute that to is we have very smart voters, and we are a little bit stingy with our votes. And as a collective, we share kind of the same reasons for receiving votes. Uh, you know, as, as a collective group, we are, we tend to agree on a lot of things, um, not always the, the little things, but as, as a big picture goes, uh, I think that we, you know, we watch more basketball than maybe any other collective group out there. And I think a lot of us are able to recognize, you know, quality basketball, quality coaching and, and things of that nature. So. What I attribute it to is us being well-informed, us being able to break down teams, watch teams, and and I think we share a lot of the same opinions when we do vote. It's the Rockin' 25 College Basketball Poll with our rocketologists Eric Haslam and Michael Hunter. We talked to you about the number one seeds last week. How about the two through four positions for the top 16? Yeah, I, I, for me, I think the, you know, we, I talked about last week about seven teams um, that I had on the one line, uh, Baylor, Purdue, Gonzaga, Duke. So I think on the, you know, on the two line, you got to lead with Kansas and Houston. I think those are probably the two strongest. Uh, Arizona also up there for me. I would probably give the last number two right now to Auburn. Um, you know, I don't have a ton of faith in the Tigers, but they keep winning. So uh, you, you have to respect that. Uh, for three seeds, I guess I would go Kentucky, uh, Villanova, Ohio State, and maybe Alabama. And then for my four seeds, we'd go... UCLA, Tennessee, LSU, and maybe USC, but USC hasn't played anybody. Maybe Texas, but they haven't. They still kind of remain unproven. You know, Michigan still is, gets a lot of respect for me, but you know, seven and four haven't really done a whole lot either. So um, that that three and four line, it's a little bit early to start predicting that, but um, I, I guess those would be the top sixteen teams for me. You know, I'm going to go the evasive route, and I'm going to say too early to tell. Um, I, I just really don't really do a lot of forecasting for bracketology until February arrives. And the main reason is look at teams like Iowa State, look at teams like Colorado State and LSU. Um, they really haven't faced the, the, the chunk of their schedule yet. And I'm thinking primarily of a team like Colorado State who's undefeated. What if Colorado State runs the runs the table in their conference or loses one game? Or What are we talking about? Are we going to give them a one seed? Are we give them a four seed? You know, there's, there's so many questions out there right now. How is Gonzaga going to do? You know, Gonzaga right now, has performed to the level of probably about a four seed, but no one would ever probably place Gonzaga at a four line right now. So it's really, in my opinion, too early to tell. And even that'd probably be my answer throughout all of January as well. I think bracketology usually kicks in right around February 1st when we start to really get probably about 70%, 75% of the schedule behind us. Then we can start evaluating the resumes. But at this point, there's too many unknowns. Another team like San Francisco, Loyola Chicago, all these teams that have really performed really well out of the gates. But how are they going to do in their conference? All of a sudden, are they going to are they going to lose three games or are going to lose zero games? We don't know at this point. So it really is too early to say. And as we stated last week, you know, I, I don't really expect Iowa State to be in our poll after Big 12, you know, conference schedule gets rolling anyway. So I agree that it's a little too early, but it's always fun just to see how wrong you can be in the next few weeks. Where can people find your work? Oh, uh, you can find me at basketballarticles.com, nupesports.com, knupsports.com, um, and then Spooky Express for all of my 
gambling and wager previews as well on twitter i am at acbr1 and as always people can find my ratings my rankings my projections my bracketology over at haslametrics.com otherwise if you want to find me on twitter i will be out there going hashtag analytically final at at haslametrics Next time we talk, it'll be the new year. Our thanks to Rockin' 25 voters Eric Haslam and Michael Hunter for breaking down the analytics and the teams. The Rockin' 25 college basketball poll, always available at 101thebeard.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank, Thank you, guys. Have a great new year. All right, and thanks also to uh, Sean Dillon's work behind the scenes to put the entire Rockin' 25 poll together every week and get that thing coordinated. And, and actually, the founder, I believe, too. So. Nice. Shout out to Sean today um, here on the final day of 2021. All right, when we come back here on the uh, uh, Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' pregame, we'll get into our predictions for the college football playoff. That is next here on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' pregame on 101.1 The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' pregame on 101.1 the Beard, starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jarrett Johnson. The Beard sports director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. It's the Rockin' Pregame prediction time. Who's the rock and who's the dinner roll? All right, back on the Rockin' Pregame. So uh, still some bowl games uh, remaining this year. And you've got, of course, the college football playoff. Uh, coming up as well, and time to make some predictions. We'll start off with the Outback Bowl. You got Penn State versus number 21, Arkansas. And uh, uh, by the way, before we get into this, Sean is the reigning rock now. A fabulous uh, come-from-behind uh, effort, 10-3 and three last week. And then the rest of us are trailing. So we'll, we'll, just, <laughs> leave, we'll just leave it at that. Pete, here's the Alpha Dog Cup. Would you like to see it? I've had it for quite a while uh, in the past, so I have already in know the, what it looks like. You're kind of tired of it, aren't you? It's old yeah, news. I yeah, I mean, I, I, I decided to let others win. It's the year to get I thought if you're in a competition, you might as well win it, right? Well, oh, he's calling you wouldn't know because you've never been in this competition, hey, hey, dinner roll. It's a two-person race. No offense to Jeff because I love Jeff. Hey, I'm well, I love behind. you too, Jared. You and me are tied at two behind. Don't be talking that kind of noise But I'm just right saying there. that this is year six what, of the show. Uh, you've never won, and you've never just, won. Just out of curiosity. I mean, Jared, do you even participate? <laughs> Apparently just barely. <laughs> well, participate slightly in quotations. But, hey, seriously, do we ever get the final tabulations on the rock and roll? I hope I won since I brought it up. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. By one game. I won? The winner of rock and roll is Jared. Johnson. Yeah! What are you talking about, Pete? Let the beer I've won something this year. What have you won, boy? <laughs> <laughs> Bring it up old stuff. All right. I have nothing to say. I want to see the tabulation. I just find it funny that Sean can just throw it out like that. Where's the documentation? Oh, I need gotta, paperwork. You got to show your work, Sean. Yeah, yeah, show your work. No one asked. Yeah, I, think there was I did. Some, I think there was some, some last-minute uh, stuff happening like at 3 in the morning. There was a, an extra whoa, box whoa, of whoa, uh, whoa. things, uh, you know, votes and things. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> oh, okay. No, All wait, right, wait, so wait. Uh, Outback Bowl. Here we go. Number 21, Arkansas and Penn State. Oh. I'll take number 21, Arkansas, to get it started here. Arkansas. Arkansas. Uh, I'm going to go Penn State. Penn State. All right, some gamesmanship going on there. Up next, the Fiesta Bowl, number nine, Oklahoma State versus number eight, Notre Dame. Give me OSU. OSU Cowboys. Yeah, I'm going to take OSU too. 
Notre Dame. Okay. All right. Uh, we got the Citrus Bowl next. Number uh, 15, Iowa versus number 22, Kentucky. Yeah, you know, that, that's. I think that should be a pretty good game. I'm going to go ahead and take Kentucky in that one. I got Kentucky. Uh, I'm going to go Iowa. Oh, Iowa. All right. Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. That's right. Number 11, Utah versus number 6, Ohio State. I am going to take, well, Utah's playing pretty well right now, but I'm going to go with Ohio State in this one. Yeah, I'm going the Ohio State. The Ohio State. I'm going Utah just because I think they're going to care about it more than Ohio State. And you want to lose by 14 games. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. At least I'm not. You know, first loser, like whoever, like uh, maybe you or you or Jeff here. Oh, hello. Oh. Wow. Oh, bring, drag me into it. Wow. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's better to be second I didn't want you loser. to feel left out. I hate it when you all talk like I'm not even here with this competition. <laughs> At least you're saying something. <laughs> all right. Up next is the Sugar Bowl. Number seven, Baylor versus number eight, Ole Miss. That's a good matchup. Like, yeah. I want to watch that football game yeah. just as a fan. I agree. I think that's going to be a fun game. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, stick with the Big 12 there and uh, yeah. take Baylor. I like Ole Miss and their high-powered offense. Ooh, beating Dave Aranda's defense. I do. I yep, okay. I do. All right. Uh, I'm going to go Baylor. Uh, I'll go Ole Miss. All right. You, you sound, you sound excited about that. About that. <laughs> well, I, those are 50-50 they games. Are, if you take are. one, I just got to take the other. I mean, that's... No, right. you don't. You, Man, you, if Pete comes back and wins, you know what the next show is going to be like, Sean? It would be. Like, you're gonna, he's going to be out. He's going to be on vacation for the for that... That'd be no, so actually, brutal. no, because we get a, a new place, and we'll announce that at the end of the show. Oh, nice. Oh, great. All right, the uh, Texas Bowl, LSU versus Kansas State. Uh, man, I don't know. I, I said I was going to go with the Big 12 on some of these games. I, Neither one of those teams are very good. Man, I know, and, and that's that's true. I, I think I'm just going to, for some reason, my gut just tells me LSU, so I'll stick with that. I'm, yeah, going to LSU as well. LSU. Oh, come on, J- Pete. You said you were going to go J- Pete. Me. Come on, J- Pete. Yeah. Well, with their coach gone, I'm going to go Kansas State. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, lose by seven. I might. So now we move on to the college football playoff. You got uh, the Cotton Bowl. You got number four Cincinnati versus number one Alabama. Uh, you know, I really hope that Cincinnati can win this game. I would love that. I get so tired of seeing Alabama win, but I think Alabama's going to win, so I'm going to go with Alabama. I got Alabama too. I'm picking Cincinnati. No upset. Really? Yes. I hope you're right. I really do. I mean, I, have y'all watched them play? No, they're they're, they're good. good team. I but mean, it's just are. still it's Alabama. I and Nick Saban. I I don't know. Sean, Nick got? Satan wins again. And in the Orange Bowl, number three Georgia versus number two Michigan. Um, again, you know, I, I I like some some new blood in there. Yeah. I, that's why I'm going to go ahead and pick Michigan. And uh, I hope they beat Georgia, and we don't have to have an all SEC right. championship game. I got uh, Georgia. Michigan's going to be without one of their big starters, so I'm going to take Georgia. Georgia's defense is just too tough. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Should be some good games uh, anyway. And what's your overall thoughts bowl season so far in I general? Want, you well, know? so far it's been fine, but I want playoffs. I want to, I mean, like, not just a four-team. I want a 12-team playoffs. I'm going to keep saying this anytime it comes up. I think – Conference winner from all ten uh, of the conferences in, in Division One football. Let them play, uh, and then at two at large. I think 
how excited would we be if we had a 12-team playoff right now? Well, I mean, and be the, the games would ever. mean something because right now you got NC State went all the way across the country and UCLA can't play, and they're stuck there. Memphis, I, I know they got a free trip to Hawaii, but they didn't get to play a game. So it's tough for teams to travel, and there's no game. So I just think every game would mean something if it was the playoff. Now, they already said, you know, if the championship game is Cincinnati against Michigan and Michigan gets COVID, Cincinnati's going to win because of COVID. So let's hope they determine it on the field. Yeah, it's the whole thing is I would like to see the playoff just because it'd be exciting, obviously. Yeah. But I think you would, you know, talk about making the games meaningful. I'm so sick of guys quitting at the end of the year yes. or opting out, as they right. call it now. But I'm sorry. At the end of the day, you're quitting. Yeah. And and I know that pro- that may be more so with fans looking at it that way. Sometimes I think that teammates look at it and go, hey, good for you, dog, you know, and they're fine <laughs> with it. But I hate it. I just think, you know, you're risking injury every time you go on the field anyway, and you're right. fine with that all season long until it gets down to the bowl game. And for the bowl game, a lot of guys on your team – that's this is it for them. Right. This is their big moment, and when you opt out or quit, yeah, you know, I just, to me it's just it, you're letting those guys down, even though they may not say it. I think down I, the road they'll look back on it, and and that's how it's going to feel. I agree with you. I really do. But just playing devil's advocate, you have Jalen Smith who got hurt in the bowl game for Notre Dame. He almost lost his leg. And he ended up still getting drafted by the Cowboys. But you know the reason why, like he has, it's changed his game where he's uh, he's not near as explosive as he was so i think that's the cautionary tale now i'm just playing devil's advocate like i said i agree with you i hate the he could have got hurt the game before you're right you're right or the first game of the season and missed the entire what it rest all of the season, says you know? is that these games are meaningless you know that that's what the players are saying to us you right. know now it wasn't meaningless to texas tech obviously tuesday night they cared about that but i mean that's how a lot of these guys look at it the way the the coaches are, are leaving um, the players are, are you know, opting out. That's what they're saying. That's why you need a bigger playoff system. More guys would care. More fans would care. I mean, it just it makes probably too much sense for it to actually ever happen. But we'll see. <laughs> but but it is funny when the players start you know opting out because right. it's not meaningful to them. As a fan, I mean, you do kind of I've, this year. Why should I care? Right. I think I've watched fewer bowl games this year yeah. than I ever have, and that's a lot of it. I just kind of start getting that image of like, yeah, you know, I guess they're right. This doesn't matter, so who cares? It, yeah. Like If you just look at just Texas Tech as an example, obviously the coaches who are all going all over the country, spreading out, it mattered to them. To the players, it mattered to them, and they kicked Mississippi State's butt. And that's right. generally, I mean, we could talk about talent and mismatches and all that, and it matters. But with football, more than any other sport I cover, emotion, want to, is one of the biggest indicators of wins and losses. Yeah, yeah, and you've seen you know some of the bowl games I have watched, and that were would be seemingly meaningless bowl games. Right. But you know you do see the guys that are participating in that game. They seem to be pretty pumped up. They yep. seem to be excited to win and hoist a trophy. Yep. You know, but uh, but I do just I just hate this this idea of you know opting out and and really it is it no matter how you slice it it is quitting. It's just it's got a fancy name that makes you feel better about about what you're doing, you know. Because yep. to me, anytime you take the field, beginning of the season, end of the season, meaningless bowl game, apparently whatever it is, you're always risking injury. Sure. And and it's just you know you can't. There are no guarantees, and it's just like the last two years of everything we've gone through as a as a you know as a country here, right? With COVID and so forth, you know, 
you can either hide in your house afraid of dying or you can get out there and live your life. And to me, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. If you're a football player, you get out, you play football, and, you know, the chips fall where they may. And I know I keep going back to Texas Tech as an example, but, I mean, I can't help it. If you look at all the co- how coaches generally and players are opting out, coaches are go- like leaving basically at the end of the regular season before a bowl game to go to their new team, that just makes what the coaches here at Texas Tech and the players did that all the more impressive. And but don't you think other teams are going to be like, man, they they were they jumped ahead of everybody by having a coach mid-season. Yeah. Don't you think more people are going to start firing coaches during the year? There's no doubt. Yeah. Hey, no what doubt. about if you're talking about bowl season and all making these games meaningful? <clears throat> what if? Uh, how would you feel about like games going like the the team with the best record? gets to host the game, it's a home game for them instead of having all neutral site bowl games or something. Would that be more exciting at the end of the day, do you think, if you're, you know, you know, if like in the college football playoff, being able to host that game if you're the number one team? I wouldn't be against it. And then when you get to maybe the semifinals like we already have, like the fort, and then it goes to like a bowl type thing where you have it at the Cotton Bowl, the mm-hmm. Rose Bowl, whatever, Sugar Bowl, whatever. Yeah. You know, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, again, it makes too much sense for them to probably actually do it, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, give them some incentive for being the higher rated, you know, ranked higher in the polls or whatever. So you still have that in place. Be meaningful. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, all that sounds sounds good to me. All right. Well, um, college football playoff. I mean, you know, for college football fan, um, that's that's I guess about as exciting as it gets outside (laughs) of watching your own team play. But uh, when we come back here, uh, we're going to replay our interview with Joey McGuire, Texas Tech new head coach, who now is officially the guy and moving into his office in the football facility and taking over the reins for sure now. And uh, we had this interview that Jared did a few weeks ago. Really great insight uh, into Joey McGuire. It's it's the best interview I've heard. Uh, It really is. I I think just finding out what makes him tick and where he came from, what he's all about, his philosophy, and the way he uh, plans on doing things. It's just really good. We wanted to share it again with you uh, in case you missed that. And even if you've already heard it, man, it's it's worth another listen. Uh, so we've got it. Uh, have a couple of different segments here with this. It's like a 30-minute conversation with Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire. We get to that next here on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. Starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher Jarrett Johnson. The Beard Sports Director Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. It's the Rockin' Interview. Welcome back to the Rockin' Pregame here on 101.1 The Beard. And here now it is uh, the replay of Jarrett's conversation with new Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire. Coach, first off, I'm really intrigued by going back to your beginning because everybody's very familiar with the success you had at Cedar Hill in the high school ranks and then now Baylor and Tech. But kind of give me an idea of your background. We know you're coming from Crowley, but, you know, your parents, your family, your playing career, just kind of give us an idea. Yeah, so I, I was born in Texarkana um, and uh, lived there all the way up until I was getting ready to go to middle school. My mom, once we got in school, she went back to school to become a nurse. And so, you know, there's only a couple hospitals in Texarkana and they were, you know, her thought, my dad's thought was, we got to get somewhere to where it's easier to find a job. And so 1983, I believe we moved to Crowley. We had family that was already kind of in the area um, so we kind of all moved there. My grandparents moved there. They were in Hooks, and 
Uh, my uncle and aunt moved there from San Antonio, so it was just a big group of us in Crowley. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was really good. Crowley was great, great to grow up. Um, and just, you know, great friends. And really the beginning of tech is one of those friends. Roger Korn, he actually, I moved in seventh grade. He moved from Oklahoma in eighth grade. Uh, we became best friends and, and played football, and he was the one that kind of, you know, he came out here to Tech, walked on with Spike Dykes, and it really kind of made me fall in love with Tech back in 89, 90, coming out here and visiting him, and told everybody almost, uh, I was getting ready to transfer to Tech. I had already, I was uh, getting ready to go into my junior year and, and uh, met my wife, and so mm. she overruled Tech. As right. much as I love Tech, <laughs> she, she, uh, she kept me uh, kept me in Arlington, uh, but you know it's crazy. We were talking about this. I was talking to a, a family the other day in an in-home visit, and with me, there's probably not a lot of us that you know didn't play college football. Yeah. And at the time, it was totally opposite of whenever I was a high school coach and what I tried to do with my guys. It wasn't like a push. There wasn't a lot of people going to play college football. Uh, we didn't have any Division One football players. Roger was the closest guy. He had gotten some Division Two scholarship offers, and and so he wanted to play big time football, and so he walked on at Tech. And, and so it wasn't a push, you know. I wish because the parents asked me, they would go, "What is your one regret through athletics and everything?" And I was like, "Man, I wish I would have gone anywhere to walk on and and have that experience." Um, and so. You know, again, you go back and you say that, but heck, I wouldn't have met my wife, so I wouldn't have been here right now. And so it's just, it, it doesn't eat me up at night or anything. I don't have many of those. So um, that's kind of the start and how I ended up here. You know, I, I, whenever my mom is a nurse, my grandmother, my uncle's a dentist, like all her side's medical. Mm -hmm. And so I really thought that's what I was going to do. I was getting ready to, I was literally finished my second year at UTA, I was working at All Saints Hospital in this in surgery, in the pharmaceutical unit, and I was getting ready to start nursing school. But I was working with my dad, coaching like my dad coached every anything in Crowley. My dad coached it, and uh, I mean everybody knows the coach McGuire and Crowley's not me. Coach McGuire and Crowley's <laughs> my dad, and so. Um, he and man keeping up with all the ballparks he would mow the grass he'd do all kinds of stuff out there and so i kept doing that with him and that was kind of my calling and i still remember i thought my mom when she was she's not now but she was really disappointed that i didn't go to nursing school i wanted to be a crna and uh, an ethicist and and so it was uh when i told her i said hey i'm supposed to coach change my major and and knew that's what i was going to do and man it feels like i've never worked a day in my life I know the feeling. Yeah. Um, you mentioned like the one regret, but obviously it's worked out for you. Right. Um, what kind of barrier was that or not for you in terms of like, did you feel any kind of pushback? Well, he didn't play college ball or anything like that. Or did you feel not insecure, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. obviously you thought about it. Like, was it a barrier for you at all becoming a coach? You know, it hadn't. I think it would be if you don't immerse yourself in the game and more, like try to learn everything you can. Um, than it would be, but you know, whenever I got into it, I got all in. You know, I, I I was lucky that I really worked with. I mean, I worked with Robert Woods for nine years. He's in the Hall of uh, Texas High School Hall of Honor. Um, I mean, here's a guy that in 1990 won a state championship as a head coach at Wilmer Hutchins. They beat Austin Westlake, 
and he called the offense and the defense. Wow. I mean, there I don't know how many people's ever done that. So yeah. the guy that I was with that I learned from, um, you know, learned from the best, been around great mentors, guys that changed Texas high school football. Sam Harrell is one of my mentor. Wow. Um, I think he's one of the to me. He's really the first legitimate uh, Texas high school coach. Not legitimate, like, but I go back and think of him getting in the shotgun and running RPOs, like, okay. on a 100% selling out, this is our offense. And he was really the first guy to do that um, that I can think of. Um, do you remember when that was? I'm sorry, Roger. You mean like um, uh, kind of when you first remember them doing that? That was like 2000. Hold on, let me go back. It was not. It was like 19. It was either like 98 or 99. Mm -hmm. Wow. It was one of those two. That is and like it was truly like he was a freeze option guy under center. Um, and I. it was against the game against Cedar Hill. It was three to nothing. They came out at halftime and they got in the shotgun. They had a really big quarterback and, uh, you know, ended up beating us like 24 to three. And. He ended up playing in the state championship that year. He just totally flipped his team. And I don't know if he ever went back under center that whole year. And then we played him uh, every, like six or seven years in a row scrimmaging. And, well, whenever I got the job, I called him and I said, who can run your offense? He said, Chris Boyd. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to hire Chris Boyd if you're okay with it. And so, you know, the guy just, I think he totally changed the game of football in the state of Texas. So guys like that, man, like when you just, I mean, every time, I'm like, you know, you hear gym rats, gym, mm -hmm. gym rats. That's how I am with football. Like anywhere I could go to watch practice. Yeah. And and it really wasn't like a lot of times, yes, it's X's and O's, but a lot of times remember I was young was just how to practice and who was more efficient and who got the most out of their time and the pace of practice. And I'll never forget, it will be like this. I really think this spring, my very first practice in the spring, we get through, I call everybody up and I said, what'd you think? And all the players were like, oh, my God. I said, guys, that was a regular money practice. I said, coach, that's the hardest thing we've ever done. And I said, yeah, but we're an hour shorter. And they went, what? And I said, yeah, we're an hour shorter. We just went really, really fast. We just did more with the time that we were on the field than what y'all are used to. And so just going to watch people do stuff like that, I think if I, wouldn't, if I didn't want to be like that, then that could have been a barrier, um, you know, but – you know, it gives me a different perspective. Did you say your dad was your first, obviously, mentor in general, but in coaching as well? It was. I think um, kind of who I am, I, my, my personality comes from my mom, um, but like who I am and what I believe in comes from my dad. I watched him coach so many teams and just, man, he, like my sister was a really, really good softball player. And so he coached all of her teams and just the love that, I mean, he just loved those girls, and they just loved him. I literally, at a national tournament, there was a call at the plate, and uh, our catcher got run over, and they did not call the girl out, which was should have been called out. And this is a national tournament, and my dad literally whistled, circled his hand, and pulled, his girls walked off the field, whoa, got all their stuff out of the dugout, and forfeited the game, and not one parent or one player questioned anything that he was doing. Well, the reason was not because he was, you know, this uh, uh, authoritative, right. just like, this is how we're going to do it. They just knew that he cared about them. 
you know, and so I saw that and and how he got more out of people doing it that way than that dictatorship um, really kind of influenced like how I was going to be as a coach. You know, you, you talked a lot about relationships and you telling that story, obviously the amount of respect that the parents, the families had for your dad to just follow that almost right. blindly, like, you know, and I've heard players talk about you, recruits now just in a right. short time as well. I, you know, we talked about before in our interactions with um, just how generous you are with your time. Did you say you, would you say you get that from your mom, your dad, or just how did you, that's obviously a conscious decision. That's right. not just who you are. Like you're making a decision with your time. When did you choose to be that way? And what kind of doors has that opened for you? Well, you know, there's a couple things. I, so here's what I always tell everybody that I get from my mom, kind of my spirit. Cause my, my mom would always say, when your feet hit the floor, you've got a choice. You know, um, I've heard different people say, I love it where they, I've never had a bad day. I just have bad moments. Um, and I know there's so many things that go on bad for different people in, in the world, but it, there's so many things that go on bad for different people in the world that they are still excited about life, you know, because it's a choice. And so, I mean, there's actually, I got it from, uh, uh, Michael Lombardi, he does this daily coach, uh, and one is my, he's one of my good friends. Um, it was a deal that he wrote up on the daily coach and it goes off on my phone, uh, every day at six o'clock and it says, be great or not. Hmm. Now the saying of me saying, be great is not telling me to be great. What it's telling me is there's a choice and normal times whenever you decide to make that choice to have a good day you're probably going to have a good day mm -hmm. the times that you say golly this is going to be a tough day i mean you speak so many things in ex existence through even if you're not saying it just through the attitude and everything so mine is when my feet hit the floor i'm going to be fired up to see whoever i meet that day and the majority of it's the players and they're the guys really that give me the energy and and uh, the excitement to do what i do and it seems like it resonates with them, like, they, like they're attracted to that, that right. kind of choice and that kind of thinking. Would you say that that's been your experience? I do. You know, there's so many guys that have tough things going on in their life, and uh, I always used to say at Cedar Hill, man, the one thing I want to be is I want to be the constant. I want to be the guy that they see every day, and I am truly excited to see them. And they don't – there's a lot of people, I mean – there's times in my life I don't have that person. Luckily, my wife loves me, so I get to do that, or my dog. But you think about that. like, and Man, we as human beings, we need that. We need somebody that's going to pat us on the back or somebody that's literally going to say, how are you doing? And if you say, man, I'm doing great, everybody's going to say that. But if you really have somebody that really genuinely means how are you doing yeah. and you're not doing well and you can open up, you know, that's what I want to be for these guys and what I've tried to be for, for my players that I've had in the past, you know. And, again, it's easy to do that when they give me so much back, you know. And it's I'm not asking for anything, but just them seeing them and being a part of their lives, that's what gives me the energy to do it. And then switching gears a little bit, you know, obviously what you did at Cedar Hill building that program speaks for itself. And now here you are at Tech. And quite honestly, it's been hard times. Wins and losses, we're talking about, uh, which you're well aware of. Are there any similarities in building the program like you did at Cedar Hill to like your game plan here at Texas Tech? And if so, what are they? 
Well, one, you got this is a player's game. Mm-hmm. Any coach that thinks they actually put the laces in the football and, and uh, their eligibility is up, we don't play this right. game anymore. We put the players in great positions to play. So the thing that we were able to do is we had really good players at Cedar Hill, and we were able to develop them into even better players. <clears throat> and, you know, I think we had tough teams. I think we uh, cared about each other, and we played like a lot of people would say, golly, you are so fast. Well, yes. We didn't win a lot of track meets, but I'll tell you what, we were very passionate about each other and we played really hard. And so that transitioned into looking like either seeing it live or seeing Mm -hmm. it on film that we played really, really fast. Um, I think similarity is we've got really good players. We've got to put them in the best position. We've got to keep developing them. We've got to recruit really good players. But there is, there's there's a culture that has to be built that is built around uh, what we call the brand and the other part is the player coach's oath. And one of the biggest part of the player coach's oath is I will care for my teammates and that's players and coaches. And so I think if you go back to Cedar Hill and then what you'll see in the future here is, man, you're going to see a passionate team that really care about each other. And I think whenever you watch it live and then you also on TV when you see like man these guys play so hard they play so hard for each other and so that's the culture that we've got to really build here and uh, I think that that helps you win but one of the biggest things that helps you sustain winning and there it is part one with Jarrett's conversation with Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire coming up next it is part two here on the Red Raider Outfitter rocking pregame on 101.1 the beer Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 The Beer. Starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jared Johnson. The Beard Sports Director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. It's the Rockin' Interview. And welcome back to the Rockin' Pregame. It's now part two of Jarrett's conversation with new Texas Tech head coach, Joey McGuire. You know, I didn't think about this. You, you mentioned playing fast. I didn't think about Cedar Hill and Baylor. And obviously there's a lot more factors that went into what Baylor, what's, what's been accomplished there here recently. But on defense, it has looked similar to when I remember covering Cedar Hill just randomly like, dang, the linebackers are running like right. their hair's on fire. I mean, you, yeah. you notice it. You see it. You yeah. know, if you... Watch football, you see it. And you see it with Baylor, too. Now, no doubt. I mean, just how you mentioned they play, for, you know, the players play for each other, but I, can you give us an idea of what kind of practice habits we're talking about to, in order to make that happen on Saturdays? Well, it, some of my old players would probably laugh at this, but I would I always say, you know, we don't walk on the field. I mean, walking on the field is like cussing in church. You just don't do it. Like, yeah. it's just like there's there's no, it's, it's not a, you don't do it. It's just a standard that like, so it's, it's a mindset to me in everything you do from a sense of urgency of going into the weight room, how we train in there to how we take the field, to how we practice um, and just growing the leadership with the coaches and the players um, that there's a standard and we're not going to tolerate anything but that standard. And that standard is, your best. It's like, that's just who you are. And I tell everybody, look, I don't, Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie, yeah. I've sit in a huddle and listen to them to tell their teammates, if you don't run to the football, I will take you out of the game. <laughs> Not the coach. Mm-hmm. And, it, 
I've seen young players look at them and them look and say, no, you don't understand. You will not be on this field. I don't care what anybody else says. And I go back to Cedar Hill, Chris Francis in 2006, Richard Moore, you know, in 2012, 13, 14. Those dudes, like, you, they were not going to tolerate anything else. And mm. and when you get it like that, whenever it is truly a player-led team, um, special things happen. And I think, you know, uh, you kind of see that a little bit with uh, what we did at Cedar Hill and what, what we are able to do at Baylor and what we're going to do here. And then going to the staff that you've assembled here, um, everybody talks about recruiting, and I've, I have too, a right. lot. But I've talked talking with some other people, media people in the industry, they're really fired up, and I am too, about the development side of it. You got some guys who have proven player developers. Just, just kind of break down. You don't have to do the whole staff, but just kind of give me an idea of uh, what kind of staff this is from a development standpoint. Well, you said one of my favorite words, the development. And a lot of people, whenever I, whenever I say, well, we're going to be a developmental program, they're kind of like, oh, so we're not going to be able to get the <laughs> five-star, yeah. you're going to get this guy and all this stuff. And that's not what I'm saying. Whenever you talk about development, I said this earlier, <clears throat> when you talk about development, there are traits to develop. So you're trying to get guys that have NFL traits yeah. that you want to develop. And so I think you're going to see a longer team. I think you're going to see a faster team. Um, now, you have to have a staff. There's two things. They have to believe that way. Mm-hmm. And I think <clears throat> I think there's the, our staff, we've got a special staff. I think my job is to get everybody thinking the same way, not being in a room and us agreeing, but being in a room that, hey, look, we're paying you some really good money to develop this kid into a great player, and that's part of your job. And so I think you've got to get everybody to understand that. you got to get everybody on the same page culturally. But, man, you look at Zarnell Fitch. I mean, Zarnell Fitch is one of the best D-line coaches in America, and his numbers prove it. You know, between the sacks, tackles for a loss, the dudes that he's put in, um, the, the guys that he's put in the league. And if you really want to look at it, I mean, you say whatever you want. Gary Patterson is truly one of the best uh-huh. at evaluating and developmental players, and that's like that fired me up. I know Zarnell very well. We've talked about coaching together before. Um, but having a guy like that, you know, guess what? He was a head high school coach. You turn around Kenny Perry. Kenny Perry's been a part of TCU, so he's been a part of Patterson's um, tree. Uh, he was at Kansas. He's been with Bob Stoops. Um, now, you know, he's with Sonny Dykes at SMU and what they were doing. Um, the guy knows he's coached uh, offense and defense at the college level. Guess what? He's a high school coach. He was a head high school coach. So I had to go into places that hadn't won before, Arlington Bowie, yeah. Arlington Sam Houston, and guess what? They won whenever he was there. You know, and so you look at him, Emmett Jones. Emmett Jones has been here. You see NFL wide receivers mm-hmm. that are Texas Tech grads playing in the NFL that Emmett Jones coached. And so he knows what he wants in a receiver. He knows how to develop them. And guess what? He was a Texas high school head coach. <laughs> and so I know there's other people on staff, but those guys, to me, those are three of the guys. And then you take it to the last, and he's our senior member of staff, of the staff. He and I are closer aged than me and Zach are. It's Tim DeRuder. The guy has played 
great defense at the Air Force Academy, at Cal, Oregon, A&M. He's been a head coach before, and so getting that guy and having the experience he has developing players, and think about that. He's developed kids that are, that are at Air Force right. and kids that are Oregon, mm -hmm. at Oregon. And so you just look at those guys like that, and I can go to every single one of the staff members, and, and I will tell you this, every single guy that is on this staff from support staff, analysts, GAs, and the on-the-field staff, they all were put in that place for a reason. They all have special talents that why they're here at Texas Tech. You know, you say that, and that makes total sense to me. I can't help but notice whoever the coaching staff is, you know, how these moves are made, how they appear to be made. And Kitley is interesting to me because you mentioned complimentary football. Right. And I want to make sure I understand exactly what you mean by complimentary football. But part of that to me would mean being able to run the ball when you yep. need to. Yeah. Um, and I know that's a question you're probably getting from a lot of people. But also it appears that maybe when it appeared that Kitley was available, it may not be exactly what I want to do scheme, but this guy's a rock star. Right. He's the best available. So let's get him. Is that am I am I close on, or how did that process go? There's definitely you? you're a hundred like there's definitely a thought process like that. Yeah. The thing the the thing uh and, and I'm gonna tell you he had some some really good options. I mean uh, yeah. really good options. And and one thing that, that made me want to to be a part of of Zach Kitley is how bad he wanted to be at Texas Tech. You know, that was really, really extremely important. But where, where I love Zach in the, in the interview, um, and I keep saying this, but I'm, I'm just going to tell you, man, I'm never, never going to shy away from it. I listened to ESPN this morning bash one coach, and, and I understand what they were talking about, but they were, they were really kind of bashing college football. Yeah. And I can turn around and bash the NFL just as easy as uh, college football. And I can tell you this weekend at, at uh, Jerry's World, there's going to be better coaches than there are in the NFL that are going to be coaching in that game, without a doubt. And there's going to be better. I mean, you know, it, great coaches are great coaches. I don't care what level you're coaching at. I've been around. Um, I, I told Coach Rule one, at one point, I said, I'm going to tell you right now, you'd have a hard time winning an 8-6-A. And I wasn't talking about him particularly, right. but I was talking about, like, I can't believe some of the stuff that I'm a part of right now, and this is supposed to be college football. And it really wasn't at yeah. Baylor. It was just the whole scene yeah. of college football. And, uh, you know, that might piss some people off of whatever. I'm just saying, like, if they – if it does, it's their arrogance. It's not that they don't want to look at it that way. And they can argue the other side of it like I could. But here's the thing that I loved about Zach, going back to Zach, is here's a guy that has put up numbers, some serious numbers, at two different places and did it. Of, of course, he did it with a quarterback, but he did yeah. it in different ways. And so we were sitting down, and I was asking him questions, and I was like, Zach, am I asking you to be somebody you're not? And this and that. He goes, Coach, and this is where I got on my rant right there. Because his answer was what I had to do for 23 years. He said, Coach, I want to win. And how we win is we put our best players on the field. So if you want me to be in 12 personnel and we have two great tight ends 
guess what? I want to be in 12 personnel. But if we have our very best player and he is a tight end and he is standing next to you just because I want to be in 10 personnel, that is insanity. That's not how you win. And so I felt like that's a guy that could adapt to a roster. That's a guy that is so inventive and on the cutting edge of football. And so him saying that was like, man, this is a no-brainer for me. He wants to be in West Texas. He has an idea of how to recruit West Texas. And then he can adapt to what we're doing. That's what I wanted to be a part of. You just confirmed what I was hoping for Raiderland and Red Raider fans in that. In my humble opinion, I'm not saying I have any answers, but I've observed a lot of coaches of different sports at different levels, and the ability to adapt is yes. the most common thing I see, which leads to success. And the coaches that don't have success, they are just get tunnel vision. And it seems like, I mean, you literally just use the word adapt yeah. with Coach Kitley in, in the hire. So that's, I don't know, tech well, fans are going to be glad to hear that. The best, the best all-time, all-time, college coach is Nick Saban and uh, you can probably Google it real quick he's been talking about it for the last couple years with different things that have gone on in college football and he says you know if you there's a reason dinosaurs are extinct you've yep. got to be able to adapt he says it all the time and so that's one thing with with Zach I think he can and will and, and we're going to put a really good product on the field well, not just with him, but I see you doing that in recruiting, and that's a good segue because my fans, or my fans, my customers would get mad if I didn't uh, ask you about recruiting, but obviously such great success right out of the shoot. Um, everybody talks about recruiting being about relationships. Yep. Obviously, you have a lot of relationships through the state. Can you just kind of give the fans out there an idea of just how that's helped you and just you know your relationships throughout the state? Well, you know, one of the guys, man, I was really fired up. I told him, man, I got, I almost got emotional whenever Ty Connor uh, co uh, committed to us. Mm -hmm. And he hadn't been on campus whenever he did. Wow. And uh, so he was going to come, um, and he did. But whenever he, he committed to me before, and <clears throat> one of the big reasons he did was because of Gary Joseph. Yeah. Um, it was very important, you know, when there was a coaching change, Ty wanted to stay in state. Um, he had different opportunities. And uh, I called Coach Joseph. I said, look, Coach Joseph, man, you are like, you know, they just got beaten in the state semifinals. And I'm like, I don't even know when this kid could come out of here. And luckily they played on a Friday night, so we were able to get him here on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. But he goes, Joey, I know who you are. So if he can't come on campus, I will make sure his mom and dad know exactly who you are. And so... I think he was going to be a Red Raider no matter what because of how much respect he had for Gary Joseph and the respect that Coach Joseph and I have for each other was a huge help. I've told every one of these kids, I've, I've said it, you know, for the five, last five years at Baylor, it, you know, some of the best relationships these guys have are with their coaches. And I always tell the parents, like, hey, ask your coach what he thinks. Ask your coach you know what I'm about and you know I think the majority of them uh, you know say good things about us and so we use that you know and, and so it would I think whenever you go through the recruiting part I mean you look at Joseph our defensive end from Mansfield Summit he had a phenomenal relationship with Zarnell but his head coach is a good friend of mine okay and so he FaceTimed me. When Joseph signed, he FaceTimed me. Well, well, Coach is right there with him, you know. And so you're sitting there with the guys like that, 
you know, of course, you can say the Cedar Hill connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did get to coach uh, the, the three older brothers, Jalen people, but, you know, he knows who I am, but Harvey Dyson and Sincere Massey, they weren't in high school whenever I was. In fact, Sincere moved to Cedar Hill, yeah. you know, going into his junior year, but they were also able to ask Coach Lynn, and they were able to ask the coaches, you know, who I, who, you know exactly who I am. So yeah. we're using that. The good thing is we've got some of that definitely on our staff. Recruiting South Dallas, yeah. those coaches can, those players can ask about Emmett Jones and Zarnell and Kenny Perry, and so we're we definitely want to use that. You mentioned Coach Joseph. That's interesting because in talking with Ty, you know, during the recruiting process when he was committing and everything, he mentioned going to those state championships game, champ, state championship matchups between Katie yeah. and Cedar Hill. I actually covered one of them. Yeah, like the 2012. So yeah, that was one of the years, right? I think I covered yeah. one of those. Um, so that was just it, he thought it was just far out that he now he's going to be playing for you right. and everything in the connections and I don't know I just find that interesting that y'all had those battles and you I mean it's not it's not that surprising knowing y'all's reputations but yeah. uh, that's that's really neat that y'all have that kind of respect for each other yeah it's you know it's one of those deals that I always tell everybody when you play Gary Joseph you're play, you know, he's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers <laughs> you know and and uh, he would disagree with that probably you know because I know he. <laughs> Uh, hated to lose last week, but um, mm. I mean he's he's something, and so I, the respect that I think we've had for each other really helped, um, you know. But it's one of those deals. That's a great thing. I try to respect everybody that I, one of my 23 years, really my entire career, and respect. I really a lot of it is respecting the game. I think that will come across too whenever you see our game, our team play. We're going to be very smart. We're going to have a high football IQ, and we're going to respect the game. And then. I, I don't necessarily – we'll have to see what happens in spring, all that, but everybody wants to know about the quarterback situation. Right. So i got to ask you, uh, how do you see the quarterback room right now and then moving forward in the future? Well, you know, we have a really good, really strong quarterback room. That was one reason that I wasn't, you know, just uh, 100%, hey, let's take a quarterback, whether it be a transfer or whether it be – you know, there, there were, there's probably – times out there that it would have been good and it would have been a big splash and, it, you know, definitely um, some special talent out there. But that was not like a 100% need because we have such a talented room. I mean, you have three guys, you know, two that have started and a third that has played that, you know, they're going to battle it out in the spring. And and I think whenever we come out of it, we'll, we'll be in a really good spot quarterback-wise because – all three of them have talent, you know, and what's really good too is all three of them, they're going to learn from ground zero in Zach's offense. And so um, it's going to be one of those even playing fields and the best guy will step up and lead the team. But I feel really good about that spot. You know, it's one of those deals of, you know, you want to create some depth in some other spots, but whenever you're looking at skill on offense and you're looking at the quarterback, we're in really good shape. All three of those guys can create time, extra time with their legs. No they doubt. They can throw on the run, which is – Huge. And that's it right now. Is yeah. It, you know, is it not? I mean, you don't see position? very many. Yeah. I mean, I don't – I know there's some probably because you have really good offensive lines that you can draft, um, but there's there's not very many statue quarterbacks anymore, uh, especially, you know, how the pass rush and, and the way the game's changed. Most people, that, you know, want your quarterback to be able to extend uh, the time, extend the pocket, and all three of those guys can. Yeah. And then I just a general question, but – 
it's been what five weeks since you it was announced you were hired. Yeah. Just can you give us just an idea of what what it's been like for you? I mean, it's got to be like just a mad rush, especially with all the recruiting. It's everything. It, it is a mad rush. You know, it's a never a boring moment, but there's never a time that I don't get excited and uh, and was just fired up to get up here as fast as I can. And and um, it's it has stay that way because that's just kind of how I am by nature. But it, it's been incredible. What's one of the coolest things for me is um, probably two nights a week at least. Um, I've gone to a different restaurant. Uh, you know, we went last night and ate, and we watched uh, the the two A game, the mm-hmm. seven o'clock game. I told the guys, you know, because a lot of people they either left before to get home to start packing up and move. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Zach has a bowl game that he's coaching in, uh, and then there was guys that stayed through signing day, and a lot of them left this morning. I said, hey, let's go somewhere and eat and watch uh, high school football. I'll watch all of them this mm-hmm. weekend and. And man, just the people were so excited, you know. And I don't think I, I know I haven't. I hadn't eaten. The food here in Lubbock is incredible, man. It's not bad, is it? I love to eat. And so <laughs> it's been good. But the food here in Lubbock is incredible. But going out and being being a part of the community, man, everybody's so excited. Coach Joey McGuire, starting something really special here in Lubbock, Texas Tech football. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. All right, great stuff there. Getting to know new Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire. It's time to talk some Red Raider basketball, the good, the bad, and the ugly, when we return here on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. Starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jarrett Johnson. The Beard sports director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. It's time for the tip-off. All right, Red Raider basketball. We're going to break down the good the bad and the ugly from Red Raider basketball so far this season. So let's start with the good. What what do you like so far, Jarrett? Well, the defense. I mean, that has continued. Tech plays stifling defense. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country once again. I'm not saying there aren't holes, but specifically with uh, three-point defense, but they're going to be in most games because Mark Adams demands that they're going to play that stifling, aggressive, energetic defense. That's the good for me. And I'll go the other side, offense. I mean, you know, early on, Bryson Williams was big. And then, you know, Adonis Arms steps up. And then it's, uh, you know, Kevin McCuller. And, you know, we need Terrence Shannon in there. But you got a lot of guys who can do a lot of things. And uh, as the games get tougher, uh, I'm excited to see guys who, who are going to step up and other guys can, can help. And uh, they got a lot of, a lot of depth. Yeah, and depth. I'm glad you said depth. Yeah, depth. That is a very good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes with my good. I mean, I agree with what you guys have already said. But for me, one of the standout things this year so far is uh, (laughs) Daniel Baccio. I am just, I'm amazed. I was not expecting him to be contributing like he is. I tell you, I think to me, he's been the biggest surprise on the team so yeah. far. So I would have to put that in, definitely put that in the in the good category. But it does speak to the depth on the, Absolutely. On the team, which is I a mean, good thing. And you look at uh, Chibuzo Agbo, I think he should get more minutes. He plays good defense. He's good on the boards. He can help you with some perimeter shooting, which I'm going to talk about here in a minute. Uh, but there's some depth. Clarence Nadalny stepping up. You know, I really like what he brings. Um, you just go down the list. They... They are a legitimately deep team, and uh, guys like Bacho and Agbo make it so. 
All right, so that is the good. And there is a lot of good there, certainly, with Red Raider basketball. But uh, there's also, you know, there, there's some bad, some things that really need some work. And uh, what what would you start off with the, the bad so far this year? Yeah, pruner shooting. They just, they don't, you, you really saw it against Gonzaga. When they started bombing away, because Tech was really packing it into, you know, obviously stop their interior presence, which is... Which they did world. a good job. They did a good job. That, yeah. But then Gonzaga just bombed away, and Tech, more than the defensive strategy, offensively, they just don't shoot good enough to to keep up. And I think as Bacho has been such a pleasant surprise, Kevin O'Banner basically not being able to hit water if he fell off a boat this year, you know, after being a dominant perimeter player just in this yeah. last term. He was arguably, I mean, he was the all, on the all-tournament team. I mean, he, he should have been. Uh, the guy was just a really good shooting offensive player, and we just haven't seen that. I mean, he's, he gets open looks time after time after time, and he I don't remember the last time he made a, a, a three-point shot. I mean, it's its ugly, and you hate it for him. You see him struggling. He's got to keep shooting, but overall as a team, this this team, that's to me, their ceiling is only going to go so high because the way the, the three-point shot, how important it is now, they just don't have enough shooters. They don't. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I just think there are some lulls in these games where they go, you know, minutes without scoring, and then you know it it, it becomes contagious where they're not hitting free throws. So I just think they got to stay consistent of of you know and work through these lulls because some of them, you know, they, they don't score for for several minutes, and then they're not making free throws. So I just, I mean, I think I I like that they played. You know, some tough games and then some some not-so-tough games, some of these mid-major teams. So I think they're prepared for the Big 12, but I just hope, uh, you know, they uh, they can be more consistent. Yeah, we're talking about the bad, and, and you know, when you got a team that's uh, as talented as Texas Tech, you got to look, uh, you know, find the bad sometimes. But uh, I think that I'd, I'd like to see more of uh, – I'd like to see Bryson Williams improve against better competition yes. you know he's you know he looked really good early yes. against the cupcakes and you're like wow this guy but man i'll tell you every time they play a team that's you know a town's like a gonzaga a tennessee you know he just doesn't seem to uh i don't know if it's bad footwork what's going on there but he he just he doesn't seem to be able to you know to, to compete at, at a level that's going to be necessary especially once big 12 grind starts i think that's a really good point and what's weird is that in earlier in his career, he has on his resume good games against good opponents. So I don't really know, like Kevin O'Banner, I don't really know what's going on with Bryson Williams against good competition. But it's a legit thing. I mean, it just is. It's night and day. And uh, so that's the good and the bad. Now let's get to, uh, you know, the ugly, which probably kind of goes with some of the bad as well. But uh, when you're talking ugly, I mean, what, what do you think is the ugliest thing this year so far? No doubt in my mind. The lack of a true floor general, the proliferation of turnovers, even against bad teams. I don't. I think they had like I don't know how many turnovers they had against Alabama State, but it was which is not a very good team. Ten at all. too many, at least. I mean, they they just turn the ball over too much. They're careless with the ball. They don't have that guy who settle them down. I think Adonis Arms is the closest right now that you have to being that guy, and that's not really. I mean, he can do that, and they're going to ask him to serve in that role, but he's really more of an off-the-ball wing scorer. I mean, he's probably right now one of your – he is, percentage-wise, like your best perimeter shooter. Uh, he has a good turnover to assist ratio. I mean, Kevin McCuller, I love him. I'm a huge fan. I, I, I just – all the way around. But sometimes when you see him bringing the ball up against pressure, you're just – you're cringing, you know, because you know – It just doesn't look like yeah. his strength, really. It's just not. And, and he's great off the ball. And he does so many things. 
But if Clarence Ndoni could step up and really improve, I think that would go a long way. Because I don't know about Malik Wilson in terms of, I know he's supposed to come back, but he's he looked really bad at some point of the season too. Like, same thing against good competition. Like, yikes. Against Providence, he really struggled. So, um, if to me, the ugliest thing is the fact that they, and this, I don't, I don't know if this is going to change. I don't know if, if they have a way to, to fix this. But this, they don't have that floor general, and they turn the ball over way too much. Yeah. All right, Pete, the ugly. Man, it's tough for me to, to use the word ugly when you're talking about Texas Tech basketball. So uh, I do want to mention more of the good. It's just Mark Adams <laughs> being the head coach. But I would say when I thought he's the a word, good guy, isn't he? well, and I, I, I like what he's doing. I, I think, you know, as we talked about, you know, the foundation was set and, and he's going to keep building it. It isn't like we dropped five steps when uh, the ugly would be to me uh, February 1st when Chris Beard comes in. I think that's, you know, I know fans are, have circled that on their calendar. And so I think of ugly, I think of a game that is going to be ugly in the sense of fans, uh, what they're going to do to uh, towards Chris Beard, whether it's yelling and, and what have you. But, car uh, batteries to get the well, ready, right? I hope we're not, <laughs> you know, I hope we're not going to have anything like that. You but, know what, uh, speaking of ugly and uh, Chris Beard, man, he can't keep his talent on the roster. Doesn't matter where he's at. Right. Jalen yeah. Tyson, uh, the one-time commit, Texas Tech commit. We had him on the show once. Out. We had him on the yeah. show. And uh, look, don't be surprised. Apparently it was fate. Uh, he ended up being a Red Raider because I think that's going to happen. You'll hear that announced pretty soon. All right, let's hope so. Well, as long as we're talking ugly, the fact that tickets for that uh, that game against Texas are going for like six hundred fifty oh, bucks—that's yeah. pretty ugly. <laughs> You're right. That doesn't fit my budget, I'll tell you, especially uh, after Christmas. Watch on TV. Know? Yeah, no kidding. That's uh, definitely ugly. But yeah, something else ugly. I just watching this team. I'm amazed at how many shots they miss. And not only outside shooting, yeah. very inconsistent, but even stuff in the paint yeah. right under the basket. It is so frustrating how many points they yeah. – I mean, I don't understand that. But uh, that, to me, is ugly. And they get, they, they get lit up with, with the three yeah. their teams. They're, they just don't defend it very well. Well, and also ugly would be just COVID. Obviously, tomorrow's game has already been postponed with They're Oklahoma sucks. State. And they, moved, they needed uh, that home thirteenth, right? Yeah, so now they open at Iowa State, hopefully. So you know, let's hope COVID doesn't cause big distractions as they run through this gauntlet. It is a gauntlet. 12. Kansas, is. Baylor, Iowa State. I mean, I'm leaving somebody out. I mean, it's what, just what? Yeah, if you're going to look at the uh, what, what is the easy opponent in Big 12. Like, if TCU's already won like 10 games, yeah. Kansas State looks tough. I don't want to play Kansas State there. You know, I, I mean, Iowa State wasn't looking to have much this year, but man, they, they look really good. Oklahoma, I don't even yeah. know what they've done, but they were good on paper going into the season. I haven't actually you know checked them out. I mean, Oklahoma State at home was about as good. And Oklahoma State's a good team, yeah. but I mean, that's about who you want to open with before you run the gauntlet of at Iowa State and Kansas and Baylor and all. I mean, it's just... They like to me the big Big Twelve basketball conference is what the, what the ESPN tries what ESPN tries to sell us in terms of SEC football. Yes, top heavy SEC football is great, but I mean we're seeing in the bowl season, it's really not that good throughout the whole conference. You know, I mean, I think it's just they're trying to speak it into existence for TV money. But Big Twelve basketball, I mean, it's legit, man. It's it's just there's just no nights off. There really aren't aren't any. Yeah, as long as you're talking about ugly, that uh, the Big 12 conference grind, that's going to be pretty ugly, right? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, if honestly, if they win nine or ten games, I feel like that would be an accomplishment. I mean, if you go 500 or a little bit better than that, that's a huge accomplishment this year. 
Well, you know, you're open at Iowa State, hosting Kansas, at yes. Baylor, yes. hosting, I mean, just brutal, right off the bat. You needed that Oklahoma State home game. It would have been that, nice. Start off with that win, you know, and, and I guess, I'm assuming, that's a big assumption, but a good opportunity to start off the Big 12 play with the win. Now, you got instead, you got to start off with that gauntlet Pete just talked yeah. about. I mean, that's tough. I mean, think about that. I mean, how many games are you? I mean, I, I know if you want to compete in the Big 12, but at Iowa State, it's one of the toughest places to play, yeah. period, in the country. And then what was it? Uh, you're home at Kansas or home against Kansas? Yes. And then at Baylor? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Who's that? There's somebody else tough after that. Who is that? Oklahoma State. So, oh, okay. Well, yeah. But then who's after that? It's uh, at Kansas State. Yeah, at Kansas State. Then hosting Iowa State January 18th. So you're talking about within a you know 14-day span, all those games. It's wow. It's just brutal. It is. But yeah. I can't wait to see it all. I want to see you know, you know, That was some great it's basketball. It's going to be fun. And yeah. Tech's defense and their athleticism and their depth is going to keep them in and win them a lot of games, I, I believe. And four of those games are going to be in a seven-day period. Wow. Get Boy, ready. Is yeah. that because of the reschedule because of Oklahoma State? Because of the reschedule State? of the Oklahoma State, it'll be the 11th, Tuesday of the 11th. Have it. Can this thing reek COVID? Man, you know I what know. I mean? God. Yeah, and yeah, speaking of, yeah, that definitely deserves to be in the ugly category for oh, sure. Man. COVID, my gosh. Well, I was about to say it's going to be fun to watch the grind of the Big 12 uh, basketball schedule. Uh, fun, maybe maybe not quite the right word. Uh-huh. But it's, it's going to be entertaining, I, I, I guess, Sue. But it is no, going be to be, it's going to be like a, like a very long tournament, you know, just with it's the, like the, the Kumite. Did y'all watch Blood, blood Sport back in the oh. day with John Claude Von Dunn? Y'all want to see that? Come what on, man. a hot minute. It's going to be the Kumite, the Big 12 Kumite. They call it the fight. I'm going to call it the the blood sport. (laughs) All right. I'm going to take your word for that one. All right. There is the good, the bad, and the ugly from Red Raider basketball. And uh, also some some blood sport thrown in there (laughs) as well. All right. When we come back here on the Iraqan pregame, it is going to be time for the full court press. You know that is three questions. There, of course, is no hedging. So if you're thinking about hedging, you can you can throw that out right now. There is no hedging. All right, you got that, Pete? No hedging. It's the return of the full court press, and it is coming up next here on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on one hundred one point one The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on one hundred one point one The Beard, starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie, inside the Red Raiders publisher Jarrett Johnson, the Beard Sports Director Sean Dillon, and host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. Full Court Press. Three questions, no hedging. Time to get our opinions on the record. It's the Full Court Press. Jeff, how many of the 56 games will the Red Raider baseball team win this year? Um, sitting here right now, you know, I not really have a chance to really see the team a lot. I think a safe bet right now is a nice round 40. Pete, what seed will the Red Raiders end up when the madness rolls around? Man, after going through the gauntlet, uh, no hedging, I'm going to go seven. Wow. Jarrett, you get the hardest uh, of the full court oh boy. press questions. Starting five for the Red Raider basketball team next year. We're talking about 2022? So, like, yep. when they return from the, the break, or are we talking no. about next season? Oh, 2020. I was going to cheat. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, you know, I'll go Pop Isaacs, Kevin McCuller, um, Bacho for Jeff. There. All right. Man, this is tough. Well, if they get, if they end up with, with Tyson, does he does he start? Uh, maybe six, man. Okay. I don't know. Um, 
trying to think about who can come back. That's yeah, that tough. in itself is is, is crazy like arms to figure is gone, out. Yeah. Uh, O'Banner's gone. Williams is gone, right? Davion Warren is Davion Warren's Davion, gone. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you should I, pick a couple of players to be named later. I know. I was like, uh, I'll go uh, Lamar Washington. Yeah. And that, my friends, is your full court press. It was just four, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us today on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame. And, uh, man, it's been another uh, crazy ride in 2021. And oh. uh, gearing up for a brand new year. 2022 is almost here. And the Rockin' Pregame will be here as well. And uh, we've got a brand new location starting in the new year. We're going to be uh, live with the Rock and Pre-Game at Buffalo Wild Wings. Nice. And uh, you know, we've got all three all right. locations here in town. Awesome. We're going to rotate through them each week. So uh, that's where we'll be next year. So invite you to come out and uh, hang out with us and uh, eat some amazing wings and, you know, Whatever, you know, the menu's amazing at Buffalo Wild Wings. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, so that's coming up in 2022. So sounds amazing. Happy yeah. New Year to you guys. And uh, happy New Year to everybody listening today. And uh, have a safe weekend. No drinking or driving. Please be safe. And we'll see you back here next week for the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pre-Game on 101.1 The Beard.